I'm Stephen Foskett. I'm Frederick Van Herren. And this is the Utilizing AI Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Utilizing AI, the podcast about enterprise applications for machine learning, deep learning, and other artificial intelligence topics. Frederick, in the past, we've talked quite a lot about uh, growing sizes of AI models. We've also talked about the growing sizes of the data sets that are underpinning those models and the challenges that people face in storing large volumes of data. But one of the things we didn't really talk about is the challenges faced by uh, researchers and academics and sort of non-corporate entities who are trying to create massive uh, unstructured data sets as well for themselves. Right, I mean, the, the biggest problem is that the world is filled with unstructured data, which is obviously more difficult than dealing with uh, structured data. The, the question really is, is, is not just about collecting unstructured data, but where do you go from there? And then additionally, AI is all about sharing. So how do you share data such that everybody benefits from this? And I think this is a, this is a good topic to, to, to talk about and to see how you can share data, but also how you can scale and do this efficiently. Exactly. And that's uh, the reason that we decided to invite on our podcast the guest that we did, that we have today. So I'd like to introduce uh, the founder and uh, machine learning expert, Edward Choi. Uh, say hello and tell us a little bit who you are. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Edward. Um, well, I, I did my uh, you know undergrad study as a mechanical engineer uh, for three years. And in, in the last year, you know, like I took a I took the machine learning class and, and it's totally mind blowing. And I decided that's um, I, I want, really want to do for my career. Uh, so I switched to, you know, computer science for the rest of my study. I, I got my master's degree there. Uh, later I joined Uber ATC or Uber ATG, uh, the, the advanced technology group, uh, which is the self-driving division of Uber. Uh, I, I started, uh, you know, at the very beginning, uh, stayed there for three years. And, and after that, I, I um, worked in another AI startup for, for about 10 months. And then I discovered that, you know, building infrastructure for AI and um, especially like having a really good one for, you know, manage, managing and use data, especially unstructured data at scale is super, super hard. And, and that's why we later decided to uh, start our own, our own company, which is Gravity. Uh, we are building the platform to manage unstructured data at scale. Um, and also we want to kind of give back to the community by, you know, open up uh, the platform to the entire AI community where, you know, people can use our platform to host uh, data for free forever if they want their data to be open to the rest of the world. Um, and anyone in the AI community or anyone uh, in, in the in the overall community can, uh, you know, freely access those data and, and use those data to, you know, um, to, uh, you know, research on more machine learning topics and, and work on more machine learning applications that will in turn benefit the entire human race. And, and that's, that's the goal. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at the, the website and uh, you've got a whole bunch of open data sets in here already. You know, I've heard people describe uh, Gravity as kind of like uh, GitHub, but to me, it reminds me a lot of Thingiverse and the 3D printing community where you've got people uploading, you know, their own sets of data and then you can kind of download, remix, use, you know, explore 
uh, these data sets. I, I imagine that these could be used for productive purposes, but also for researchers. And it's really exciting yep. to see things in in agriculture and autonomous driving and you know design and all sorts of areas. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's it's a pretty cool uh, pretty cool combination of data. Yep. Yeah. So the reason we call ourselves GitHub is basically. Well, we are a bunch of engineers, right? Like every software engineer did not get up really well, right? Like we all use open source software at some point, either in school or at work. Uh, I think uh, if if we look at, you know, the past 30 years, right? Like we have a huge advantage. Uh, we have a lot of innovation in the tech sector, right? The, the reason we can be there, the reason there are a lot of startups, they can start their own companies is because they have free software available to them, right? And they can build you know, uh, their new uh, products uh, using those free software and, and open source software basically being the, the, the factor which kind of drive the innovation forward in the last 30 years, right? Uh, and if we think about what, what can happen in the next 30 years, right? Like AI is definitely one of the biggest uh, technology that's, uh, that will, you know, change the entire uh, landscape and, you know, how people interact with computers and, and how people interact uh, with our physical words, right? Like, but what will be the similar factor as open source to software, right? And uh, if we're looking at all the innovation in AI, they all kind of link to open data. Uh, for example, like Dr. Fei-Fei Li, who, was, uh, who, is also, who is still a, a professor at Stanford Un University, uh, she released ImageNet, um, and, and that became the, uh, the really famous vision benchmark for all the machine learning uh, Tech, the researchers, they can use that vision benchmark to do, you know, studies in computer vision, in image recognition. And, and because the existing of such data set, people have, you know, the, the, you know, the materials they need uh, to, to work on new algorithms, right? And, and because of the data set, they can use that data set as a benchmark to compare their work. Uh, so we know we make progress in, in those fields. And, and to be honest, like right now, like we don't have a lot of open data set yet. There could be more. A lot of the area could be really interesting if someone or some organization companies, they can share a, a small portion of their data. So people, uh, the innovative people, the talented people, they can use that materials to you know, work on solutions to, to solve that specific question, uh, problems that will, that will actually benefit that sector a lot. And, and we believe uh, if we have this platform and, and if we have this effort to help people to prepare open data sets and we have this uh, platform freely uh, available for anyone or any organization who, uh, who can you know, host their data set for free and, and, and make open data set more accessible, that will, that will just benefit everyone. Yeah, I think it's a great concept. I mean, sharing data is part of the, the whole concept of AI. So if I'm, a, if I'm an entrepreneur and I want to start, then how do I find data? I mean, what kind of criteria do I need to use in order to find data? And then a follow-up question would be, you know, my concern obviously is, is open source data sets. It's great. I don't have to collect the data, but I also don't have control of the quality of the data that was collected, right? So how do you... How do you, do you have like metrics or so to kind of understand the quality of the data, how well or, or, or how bad the data is? 
Yeah, exactly. So to answer the first question, uh, that's actually the question faced by a lot of the people, right? Like when they're trying to solve a specific problem, when they're trying to, trying to design the algorithms, it's, it used to be really hard for them to find such data set, right? Like they can do data, they can do Google search, but oftentimes they really couldn't find uh, the data set that they want to use. So it, it ended up being like a person asked, another person who kind of familiar with these matters uh, ask for help and, and ask like what data set they have used in their previous work. And, and that's not efficient at all. Uh, even if there could be some really great data set out there, but it, people just couldn't find it. So that, that's why we came up with the idea where we have a single platform where everyone can share the data for free and then it will be much easier for, for, the, for the user of the data to find those data sets um, right away. And, and, and that's uh, gonna be super helpful, especially someone they have a specific topic in mind they want to do research on, right? So the quality is a really important piece there. Um, I, I remember I read a paper about you know, the quality of the open data. Even the really famous uh, ImageNet, they have about like 2% of the error rate in the data set. And some of the other data set could, be, uh, could have bigger error rate. Uh, that's indeed a problem. Uh, that's why we are kind of, we just recently launched a, a project with Linz Foundation called OpenBytes. Uh, in that effort, we kind of want to work with people in the community on, you know, bringing standards about the qualities uh, of data sets uh, to the entire communities, helping people uh, making procedures on how to produce really high quality data. Um, to be honest, uh, at the moment, there's really no metrics, there's no single metrics yet uh, to, you know, to say, hey, what's the quality of this data set or that data set? We all know there's errors in there. And the problem of those errors is when we use those data as the ground truth, but it's not actually the ground truth, then we couldn't really trust the result produced by those, uh, you know, produced by those data. And, and that creates a huge problems. Uh, and, and that's exactly what we're trying to solve there. Um, and also, you know, in recent years, especially this year, uh, Professor Andrew Ng, they, they, they gave a, a speech on uh, data-centric AI, basically talking about uh, techniques, how you can, you can actually improve the quality of the data. And, you know, improving a model uh, in recent years is harder and harder because no matter how hard you work, you can only improve like less than 1%. But improving the quality of the data uh, will in turn uh, have much better improvement, uh, you know, in the end-to-end -end, uh, settings uh, of the entire model, even, even though you don't have to change the model at all. Um, uh, that the result they show is actually quite amazing. But uh, just get back to the question, we are working with Linux Foundation on this new project called OpenBytes, and, and we are uh, working really hard with the community to, uh, you know, build, up, build that quality standards and build procedures to produce really high quality data sets. Right, so uh, to kind of continue a little bit on the topic, so if I'm, if I'm using one of those data sets, can I then, and if I find data that is, doesn't fit the quality criteria, can I go in and maybe mark it as, you know, don't use this anymore? Or is, is it really like GitHub, you know, where you can, you have layers of yep. versions and, and so data never, never deletes? Because another concern would be if I use this uh, a data set for building models, you know, I don't want that data set to disappear, right? That would be, uh, that would yep. be problematic. 
Yeah. So one thing really nice about this platform is, you know, when you uh, use the data, right? Like you train a model and oftentimes, let me just tell you a story. Like when I work at Uber, sometimes I have uh, some of the data, you know, collected uh, from the self-driving cars. I have uh, people who annotate that data and, and we train the model. And, and we evaluate that model and see whether that model really produced good result or not. And then when it says the model actually gets something wrong, I, I look at the images, I look at the predictions, it turns out uh, it was the original annotation was wrong. And, and, and that's why I said sometimes you couldn't really trust the ground truths. So the really nice thing about this platform is when you use that data to train a model, and it, when you use that model to kind of you can use that model to predict on the training data and you will find the data which didn't agree with your model. And sometimes when you take a look of the data, it could be the training data was wrong. And then you can actually contributing that result back to the data. And if more and more people using the data set to train the model, they all train different models, right? And, and those different models will basically find uh, what's wrong with the original training set and everyone can contribute back to the training set and we can constantly improve the training set and make it better and better. It's not like mark the data is wrong, rather, hey, it, it, the model can automatically mark, there's, there could be some problem with the, with the data. And then if we have a lot of models, right, they, they, basically, can, they basically do a vote on, on the data and then we can automatically crack the, the, the data and then the data can be better and better. Uh, with more and more people using it, right? You know, I mean, the concept of sharing is caring, I guess. Do you do you see enterprising enterprises reaching out to you and saying, "Hey, we we have large data sets. You know, are you interested?" Is that something that you see happening? We do. We have uh, several enterprises. Uh, they have uh, various different. They they have different reasons to to share data. Some of the enterprises. Uh, they really want to, uh, you know, they, they create a lot of data and they want people to use that data, but uh, they don't have, uh, you know, they have no exposure, uh, you know, to, to, the, to the researchers, to people, to other enterprises, right? So, so they decided uh, the prediction, well, the, the, the future data is, is really important, uh, is, is really valuable. And, and sometimes they open up some of the history data uh, on the platform. So, so the researchers or other enterprises can use that data to build a prototype. And if they really like the quality of those data, they can, you know, at the end connect those companies and, and you, know, uh, you know, purchase those data or building other type of collaboration uh, effort uh, between those two enterprises. And sometimes uh, other enterprise uh, is you know, sometimes they, they accumulate a huge amount of data, but they don't have the talent to use that data. They don't even know, you know, how to deal with the data, what value they can get from the data. They just need, you know, talented people from the community uh, kind of work on the data, see how they can use the data, what value they can get off the data. And, and sometimes those companies, they get inspired by the work, you know, carried out by the community members. And, and that, you know, in turn, in the end, will we'll turn into product uh, of those cooperations. Uh, that's, that's some of the trend we have observed. Yeah, it, it almost becomes a, a marketplace of, of data, um, a free 
or paid marketplace of data, right? I mean, you, I could see as well, um, you could have a, a, a new kind of company that is collecting data sets for the purposes of putting it out there for others to use in hopes that then they can, you know, kind of build a business out of it. Um, sort of a data, a data farmer <laughs> in a way. <laughs> And, and that, that's hoping that somebody else can find something else to do with the data that they're collecting, right? Yeah. So the the, the pity thing is a lot of the corporations, they actually generate a lot of data in their normal operations, right? They don't know how to use that data. They just throw that away. Um, and and I, I think one of the practices, uh, we are building this data platform uh, for enterprise, right? Like uh, sometimes it's just uh, the enterprise need to kind of plan out that even before they apply real machine learning uh, applications in their organization, they have to accumulate the data because like if they don't accumulate those data, uh, you know, a height of hiring uh, machine learning engineers, uh, when, when they onboard that guy, he, do, he doesn't really have anything to work on, right? Like he has to wait for months and, and, and just wait for the raw data to come in uh, to build machine learning model on those data. So I think every organization, they should start to accumulate data. If they produce the data, don't just throw them away. Uh, accumulate, accumulate those data. If they don't know how to use that data, uh, just open up a small portion to the community. And, and that, will, that will be tremendous uh, useful for the rest of the world. Uh, that will uh, kind of maybe inspire a lot of uh, innovation and, and that will you know, change our life forever. So this sounds really hopeful, but uh, not to be a naysayer, <laughs> but isn't there also a possibility that the, uh, the quality of the data could be driven downward by these kind of pressures? So essentially, if, if there are errors, that those errors could propagate through other applications and other users, of the data, and then that could end up being contributed back into the repository as a correction that's actually not a correction, that's actually a, uh, a, a, a wrong direction correction uh, that, that would pollute the data set. Uh, that's, uh, that's possible. So we, we don't really you know, change the data only based on uh, you know, a single vote, right? Like sometimes uh, if they're, going to be enough models and then we will use the vote of different models to to kind of evaluate whether the data has some errors or have has some issues um to be honest and and sometimes we could also have human involved volunteers involved to kind of give a, a second check of the data to make sure uh it indeed being corrected not you know getting worse and worse so there there's ways and and definitely uh, we need volunteers and we'll design our product in the way where, you know, people can come in, uh, volunteers can come in and, and can give a check. Right. I mean, I, I think data quality is also referring to the metadata, right? So I can upload, you know, thousands of pictures of dogs and I can put in the metadata pictures of cats, right? I mean, that yep. will, while the data, the quality of the data pictures of the dog might be right, you know, the fact that it's cats kind of, you know, ruins it. Um, do you have any concerns about copyright where, where somebody might upload some data that they don't own the copyright titles to it? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's actually a really, really important question we need to solve. And there's not just like someone upload the data they don't own. And sometimes it could be a bigger data set includes a portion of the data, which 
actually under different licenses. And, and the license cascading uh, creates, definitely creates a problem. So we, we in the open bias projects, we actually talk with a lot of, you know, the, the law experts, lawyers, and, and we talk about, you know, we talk with uh, some other efforts, for example, like the CDLA effort also in, in the Linz Foundation, uh, which trying to build a MIT-like licenses for open data. You know, like for open source software, we have Apache license, we have MIT, we have GPL. But for, you know, open data sets, there are a hundred different licenses uh, has, has been used by, by different people and they're not actually designed for data sets. Um, they didn't really kind of, say, hey, you like who owns the, the, the raw data, who owns the metadata, right? Like uh, how, like what the, uh, the derivatives of the, you know, the model trained by the, by the, by the, by the data, well, the model trained using the data, like who has the ownership, who has the copyright of that model? Uh, no, like a lot of the licenses don't really have the, the necessary information to kind of rule uh, all those aspects of open data, right? And and in the open data in the open best effort, we are actually talking with a, a bunch of different law experts uh, on the license issues, and we hopeful we hopefully we will come up with a system uh, or like a, a set of new licenses dedicated for open data sets and a system where we can track all the licenses of the, the data sets and, and make sure like they are being properly used. They, they are under proper licenses and, and we want to make sure like everyone who want to use uh, the data set understand the license and, and know exactly what they can use the data set for, uh, know what they can't really use the data set for. And, and that's also some of the uh, effort we want to collaborate with, collaborate with the community. So back, back to the, the previous question though, like about the quality of the metadata, I think that's, that's exactly why uh, the effort with the community is really great because you know people in the communities, they, they always identify those problems. They can, uh, you know, pop up those problems and, and we will solve that problems, uh, you know, based on the reporting of the member from the community. So the question of open uh, data and licensing also kind of begs the question, uh, what about uh, data that is intentionally licensed or, um, you know, constrained in some way? Can you see a future where there are open data sets with open licenses, but also proprietary data sets with proprietary licenses, maybe even paid data sets that exist in the Gravity or in some other uh, repository and that are used for specific purposes by, uh, or offered for purposes by a vendor. Yep, I, I can definitely see that happen. But uh, I think we still a little bit, uh, you know, we still a little bit far away from that. Um, so for structured data, there's technologies to, to you know, to protect the, the structured data. But for unstructured data, it's a little bit harder. You know, like we have new technologies like federated learning. We have uh, some new technologies uh, like, uh, we, we also have a patent called Sandbox. Uh, we, we propose a way to, you know, to use uh, data in a sandbox, in a safe environment where you can train the model, you can take the model away, but you have to leave the data inside the sandbox. Uh, there, there's several efforts on that front. Uh, we also kind of, we also think transfer learning could help, uh, you know, in that context. Uh, but we still think there's 
certain technologies need to develop to be developed before we can safely, you know, uh, you know, treat unstructured data. Yeah, and a, and a follow-up question to that: Do you also see people uploading data where they basically say free for all, except for governments, military, you know, ethical kind of things? Do you do you see those they, those requests also? We have not yet, to be honest. Yeah, we have not yet, but that's really a, a, a good question. I, I can approach to the community members and and kind of ask them uh, whether they they see that situation, they see that scenarios. We have not yet, but I believe you know the governments or other uh, agencies they might have their own private data they they use uh, for their you know specific purposes. Um, so the public domain. Well, we could make the licenses to kind of say, hey, all the data in the public domain, they should be, you know, for the the, the, the benefits of the entire, you know, public, uh, not, you know, uh, doing bad things using those data. So we don't see that yet, but that's definitely something we should keep in mind and, and approach the community members and, and kind of uh, talk a, a little bit more on that. Well, I mean, no doubt that could be written into the license. Any arbitrary yep. license can include arbitrary text. Um, as a reminder, um, Apple's uh, end user license agreement forbids any third party from using it to develop, design, or manufacture nuclear missiles or chemical or biological weapons. Uh, I'm not sure that that has been enforced uh, with iTunes specifically, but, you know, I mean, it is in the license. And I suppose anybody could put anything in the license if they so chose. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think when it comes to uh, data science and machine learning, uh, these kind of uh, ethical questions might become more pertinent than uh, music sharing service. <laughs> well, it could be. Well, you know, software are, are that data is really similar to software, right? Like, um, they, they are, you know, not, you know, the building blocks of products. So I think uh, we can learn from the experience, uh, you know, from the open source software uh, to kind of guide how open data being used. Um, that's definitely uh, like we learn a lot from the open source software and, and the entire processes. So on that note, I think that there is definitely an analogy between uh, what you're doing with open data sets and with something like GitHub with open, uh, open source software. Um, what are the, as somebody who's been in this space uh, and, and done both open source software and open data, what are some of the surprising differences between open data sets and open source software? What are the, what are the areas in which they are not the same? Yeah, that's a really good question. So contributing open data is a lot harder than contributing open source software, right? Uh, if you have a machine, if you understand programming, you can always contribute to the open source software, but collecting data sometimes is, you know, time consuming and is also very costly, right? So uh, we, we saw right now, most of the open data are contributed by either institutions or organizations. Um, there's rarely uh, individual contributors can contribute on the open data. Um, and also the characteristic of open data, um, sometimes contributing open data is important, but 
more often contributing the model, the algorithms associated or produced, derived from the open data is, is very important. So uh, not like open source software, you know, people just, they write software together, but for open data, if we create a value for every single, you know, AI developers, uh, not just through the open data itself, but also through the models produced by the open data and the comparison of the models. Uh, and and that's, that's the differences between, you know, open data and open source software. Yeah, and I, I think also that there's many more tools for software development, like, like linting tools, for example, right? Where the tool doesn't really need to understand what it's doing, but it's looking at the syntax to figure out what's going on while for for data it's a lot more challenging and 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 it's also you know what happens if you have pci data and or 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 social security numbers right how do you how do you figure that out there are no well actually there are tools to to, to look for that but it's it's very time consuming right linting a, a a one million lines of code happens really fast you know one million pictures and analyzing them takes significantly more time yeah yeah, so in the future, we can imagine where, where you know, the people, the, the data are opened, but not being seen by any people. It can only be accessed by machines. Uh, you can train the model on the data, but you cannot actually see the data itself. So uh, hopefully in that way, or in similar technologies, people can still use the open data, um, but like they cannot really, just take the data away, um, you know, especially like there's uh, privacy issues with the data. Uh, there may be other issues with the, with the data. So uh, we, we kind of see there could be technologies to, to solve that problems. Well, before we uh, wrap up here, I just want to give you one last uh, moment. Um, where do you see gravity going in the future? You know, what, what do you think that this is going to look like five years from now? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So I think we we saw how GitHub grow, right? Like it, it from uh, a website just for a bunch of uh, you know uh, geeks uh, working on Ruby on Rails, uh, now became the single most popular uh, platform for all the software developers, and and we want Gravity to be a similar platform, but for all AI developers, for all the people working in machine learning, uh, in AI, we want Gravity be the hub. And, and also uh, we know, you know, making, supporting that community, uh, we need a really su successful commercial product. So we, we, that's why we have a similar model uh, compared to GitHub, which is pay for privacy, right? Uh, we have the model where, you know, if organizations uh, or companies, they want to manage their unstructured data at scale uh, inside their own organization, internally in their own organization and collaborate on those data, they can pay for the software. So uh, we want to be successful both in terms of the, the community side, uh, being that platform providing free services for everyone. And we also want to be successful uh, in the commercial space and, and helping uh, organizations of any size to be able to use their unstructured data, to be able to, you know, to, to use AI uh, to accelerate, um, you know, their internal efforts. Well, thank you so much. It's been a really interesting discussion. Uh, but now comes the time in our podcast when we shift gears a little bit. 
Uh, it's time for three questions, a tradition we started in season two. Uh, note to listeners that our guest has not been prepped on these questions ahead of time. So we're gonna get some off the cuff answers uh, right now. Um, this season, we're also changing the questions up a bit. I'm gonna ask one as well as Frederick, but a third question will come from a special guest. So uh, Frederick, why don't you go first with your question? So are there any jobs that will be completely eliminated by AI in the next five years? Wow, that's a very good one. Uh, let me think. To be honest, uh, I, I work in the industry of AI for you know almost 10 years. Um, so to me, AI is just another tool to help people to do their job better. So I couldn't really see um, job elim eliminated by AI in the five years, but it could be, you know, in 10 years, in 20 years. So five years is, is not long enough and AI is still not powerful enough uh, to, you know, eliminating jobs, but rather it will help people to do their job better and, and easier. So following on to that uh, prediction question, and of course, since you did uh, mention that you worked in a self-driving car environment in the past, uh, I need to know, when will we see a full self-driving car that can go anywhere, anytime, no limits? Wow, that's a really good question. So in the self-driving uh, industry, we all know um, the self-driving car kind of launching in a way where, where you know, uh, based on cap based on capabilities, right? At the very beginning, uh, we kind of set up a, a zone, a special a special zone, operating zone for the so for the self for the self driving car to start to operate. And when the technology becoming more and more mature, we kind of uh, increase the size of that zone. So it's gonna be a really graduate way. Uh, to involve this type of technology is not going to be, you know, the other day, one day you get, get up in the morning and then there's every car going to, you know, drive autonomously. It's not going to happen, uh, you know, in that way. So I think to answer that question, I really don't know because, you know, technology is so amazing. Like people working super hard. Uh, it could be in five years, it could be in 10 years, uh, but we'll see there there are going to be more and more self-driving cars on the road. It's just this, they gradually start from the easy, uh, the easy area of the city and, and it, it will be operating, you know, in bigger and bigger areas. So the third question actually comes from uh, somebody here as well at Gestalt IT. Uh, so Tom Hollingsworth, the networking nerd, who was a guest on a previous episode talking about network management with uh, artificial intelligence, asks this question. Hi, I'm Tom Hollingsworth, the networking nerd of Gestalt IT and Tech Field Day. And my question is, can AI ever recognize that it's bias and learn how to overcome it? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think, yes, well, in some way, because, you know, most of the AI te technologies we, we are using today, they're based on statistics, right? Uh, when they, the output of a, a lot of the model is not really the answer, really not the yes or no answer is most of the time it is outputs a probability. 
And uh, to answer that question, I think sometimes AI is really confident. The, the output of the model is really confident about something and sometimes it's not really confident about something, right? Uh, and oftentimes it's basically the engineers who kind of set up a, a value where if the, the confidence score exceed that value, then we think is is A or a lower than, than that value, I think is not A, right? Um, so based on that probability, we actually know how confident is the model. So the model itself sometimes know it kind of, it could be making mistakes uh, by, you know, output a relative low probability. So I think if we design the model really carefully and because the model most of the models are from statistics. We actually can know what well, the model itself can output whether uh, it have a large probability being biased uh, versus not. So I, I think the answer to that question is the model could. Well, thank you very much uh, for those answers. Uh, we do look forward to also hear what your questions might be for a future guest. If you or if any of our listeners want to join this, uh, you can just send us an email at host at utilizingai.com and we'll record your question. So thanks for this great uh, conversation, Edward. It, it was really interesting to learn about the, uh, the world of open data sets. Where can people connect with you and follow your thoughts on uh, these topics and these projects you're working on? Yeah, so you can always visit gravity.com. Uh, so there's an I instead of Y at the end. Uh, you can you can also send us email by you know by using the email address contact at gravity.com and also follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter or Medium. Uh, you can find us there. Uh, Frederick, I've been very busy working on the Utilizing AI podcast, of course, and planning for our next AI Field Day event, which is scheduled for April. So, uh, what are what are you working on lately? Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to uh, many enterprises about data management and designing large-scale clusters, right? As we know, there are many more parameters in AI models and GPUs are the way to go there. You can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter as Frederick V. Heron. Well, thanks for listening to the Utilizing AI podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion, remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast application since that does help, and please do share this with others. This podcast is brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to utilizing-ai.com or find us on Twitter at utilizing underscore AI.